from the nation's leading supply chain university program, we welcome you to the Penn State Supply Chain Podcast, brought to you by the Center for Supply Chain Research. Here are your hosts, Steve Tracy and Irv Grossman. This is episode 12 of the Penn State Supply Chain Podcast. I'm Irv Grossman with Steve Tracy. We want to talk about achieving sustainability through stakeholder collaboration. Joining us today is uh, Nikki King, who's the head of sustainability for Unilever North America. Welcome, Nikki, to the podcast. As a brief introduction, uh, in Nikki's role, she's responsible for ensuring the development and implementation of North American roadmaps for Unilever's sustainable business strategy, also known as Compass. She also partners with Unilever's customers to develop collaborative partnerships to deliver on mutual sustainability goals. In addition, she works with Unilever Unilever North America brands to guide their sustainability and purpose activation. Throughout her career, Nikki has held companies, has held roles at companies including Brilliant Earth, Norvo Nordisk, and 10 years at Campbell's Soup, where she developed and executed sustainability strategies to deliver sustainability risks and impacts across value chains, create sustainable business value, and increase stakeholder engagement in sustainability. Nikki earned her BA degree in social services, social sciences from MS, an MS degree in business management and a certificate in organizational leadership from Thomas Edison State University. I hope I, hopefully I did that justice. So welcome to the you podcast. Did. So it, it'd probably be a good start for talking just a second about how you ended up in this, uh, in this, in your current role and how you made sustainability your career. Yeah. So, so thank you so much for having me. You know, I've had this amazing career journey. It's been a very winding road. So early in my career, I was actually a paralegal. So I worked at a very large Philadelphia based law firm as a paralegal. And then, you know, the 2008 recession hit and a lot of my work was focused on real estate and land development. And so I was really thinking about what I wanted to do next. And an opportunity opened up at Campbell. It was actually a paralegal position. And I, I jumped on it because I thought, okay, let's let's try the corporate world for a little bit. And, and it was, this position was really focused on innovation at Campbell. And I joined the company and in my orientation was Dave Stangus, who is a, a huge thought leader in sustainability. And we started talking and I really fell in love with what he was trying to do for Campbell in, in bringing sustainability to life. So we, we started chatting and uh, long story short, within a year, I was working directly for Dave. I was no longer doing that paralegal work and Dave and I really worked hand in hand to set up sustainability at Campbell and really put the processes and strategies in place needed to to elevate sustainability. So I spent about 10 years there, a little more than 10 years. My last three years, I actually went into procurement to focus on supply chain sustainability because there was such a gap. Um, there was a need to focus on human rights and work with our suppliers to really bring them up to speed as well. So that from there, I thought, okay, I really need to experience other other businesses as well if I'm if I'm gonna really do this this field justice. So I went to Brilliant Earth, which was a an interesting move. They're a smaller company now. Now they're publicly traded. They weren't when I was there, but my focus there was 
definitely in the supply chain. So I spent some time in India working with their suppliers and really trying to understand what the challenges and the barriers were preventing them from putting, you know, more sustainable practices in place. Then I then I ventured on to Novo Nordisk because I wanted to understand the pharmaceutical supply chain. And I did that for a couple of years. And then, you know, Unilever was always, I have to say this, for, for many years, I looked up to Unilever and I really wanted to understand the sustainable living plan. And just so happened, a new role was created when they launched their new strategy to lead um, sustainability in North America, because they had found that there was this gap with the sustainable living plan. In order to meet those goals, they needed to have a dedicated resource in their biggest market. So this role opened up and, you know, I was fortunate enough to be placed in the role. And so this is where I am today. So what in, in the world of Unilever, so, I mean, it sounds like you've got a broad base experience around sustainability, specifically with Unilever. Uh, what's the scope of sustainability in, in your role? My scope is very, very broad. So really, it, you know, my, my main objective is to take those compass commitments and implement them, you know, here in North America. So I'm doing everything from like right now, I'm establishing a localized governance structure in North America to make sure we have the right stakeholders in place. I'm also working on, you know, in the nitty gritty, like building decarbonization roadmaps for North America, because that's one of the quickest things that we need to tackle. Then sometimes I'm working with our suppliers and our customers. I'm collaborating with some of our biggest customers to build joint sustainability plans. I also work with our brands, so that's another area. So working with our brands to make sure sustainability is incorporated into their purpose. So yes, it's a, an extremely broad role, but very fun at the same time. I ne- Believe me, I never get bored. So what's Compass Commitments? You mentioned that just briefly. Yeah. So the Unilever Compass, it really builds on the strategy, the Unilever Sustainable Living Plan, which hopefully you've heard of, but it builds on that legacy and it really is designed to help deliver superior performance and and make us a future fit company. The Unilever Compass has about 34 goals. So this is about half of what the Sustainable Living Plan had. But, the, but they're very tough goals, right? So a lot of my focus is in the climate change goals. So we have a medium-term goal, which is to become net zero by 2030 in our own operations. And then the second goal is longer term. So it's net zero by 2039. And that's from sourcing of our ingredients to point of sale. When you think about these very challenging goals, um, both in terms of scope, but also in terms of time. Now, you mentioned by 2030, by 2039. I guarantee you, Irv and I will be long since retired by 2039. When you think about that and you have to establish plans and collaborations, all the things that you need to do, both in terms, again, of the size of the effort as well as the time commitment, how do you, how do, you do that? How do you get buy-in? How do you get commitment? How do you get collaboration, not just internally, but externally as well? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because when you and and look, I'll be retired as well by the time that 2039 goal comes around. So, I mean, you take that you take that 2039 goal and you look at it. This is this is where a majority of our emissions are. It's in our scope 3, right? 
So about 50% of our scope three emissions actually come from our raw materials and our third party manufacturing of our products. Another 12% comes from the primary and secondary packaging, and 15% is related to inbound and outbound transportation. So that's about 80% of our emissions. That's a lot. And the supply chain is the hardest area to tackle because you don't have direct control. So it's really about building those relationships with the stakeholders to make sure that you're going to be able to meet those goals. So for me, it's, you know, it's a very systematic approach. I like to stakeholder map. I know it's a very basic concept, but to me, I take my strategy, I sit down and I sit, I don't do this in a, in a vacuum, right? I bring in my other partners internally and we look at every stakeholder along the value chain that we're going to need to bring into the fold. And then I, then I build, this is basic, you know, business fundamentals, but building a racy chart to understand accountability and then putting a governance structure in place. And then one of the things that I think is very important because you have to build those relationships with your stakeholders if you're going to be successful. So I actually like to meet one-on-one with each of those stakeholders before I, before I roll out a governance structure. I want to make sure that we're aligned, they understand where I'm trying to go, and that, and that they're bought in. And if you do that in the beginning, you're going to be much, much more successful. And it, you know, early in my career, that, that's one of the things that I didn't really understand the importance of. And it, you know, it hindered my success in, in some instances. So, you know, that's that's the approach that, that I like to take. You, you mentioned something in your, in your earlier in your statement about uh, scope. Can you, and some of us, since most of the people listening here would be supply chain professionals, may be familiar with the various scopes, but can you uh, help just for the audience by defining scope one, scope two, and scope three? Scope one is obviously the emissions that, you know, are in in our manufacturing facility. So it's the emissions that are directly in the company's control, right? The scope two emissions are your- It seems seems obvious to you, but it's not always obvious to other (laughs) people, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, no. We talk about supply chain stuff all the time, and we think it's second nature, but it's not really, you know, not- in scope, I mean, the term scope one, two, and three, are those industry definitions or are those Unilever definitions? These are industry definitions. So so it is complicated. And believe believe me, as, as long as I've been in sustainability, sometimes I still have to refer back to, you know, the, the WRI chart that tells me exactly what they are. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a honest question. So scope one, obviously, you know, it's those direct emissions in your company's control. And then scope two is your indirect emissions that are associated with things like the purchase of electricity, steam, heat, cooling. It's typically under the company's control or influence, but sometimes it's not. And then scope three emissions are all those other things, all your indirect upstream, downstream emissions that occur within the value chain. And those are typically outside of your control. Yeah. So basically it's control, influence, and then I got to get somebody else to help me out. Exactly. That That's a great way of describing it. So the st- that's where stakeholder uh, that stakeholder mapping becomes so critical in each of these scopes, right? 
Exactly. Exactly. That, that's why scope three is always a terrifying thing to sustainability professionals and especially to, you know, our supply chain professionals who really don't know what it's going to take to achieve those goals. It's a daunting task. Yes. What's the biggest challenge to get on the path right now is, is, you know, in, in your, in your decarbonization journey? Yeah. You know, this is a, this is a question that I I get a lot. Like I said, it's a daunting task. And one of the reasons again, is because those things are outside of your control, but you know, I've thought about this a lot and you really do have to take a systematic approach and you have to be persistent if you're willing to do those things and you're willing to innovate and put resources behind it, you'll be successful. You do have to start somewhere. I think oftentimes that's the hardest thing for people to do is, is just dig in and start the process. The other thing, you know, that I think is, is necessary for success is really having your leadership buy-in. So educating the leaders in your company to help them understand what you're trying to do, why it's important, what stakeholders we're going to need to bring into the process, and really get in their buy-in to go ahead and set those goals, goals and build those roadmaps. But if you, do, if you do those things and you do them well, you should be successful. And, and when you think about, so you know, you, you mentioned a couple already that one of your aspirations was to get to work for an organization like Unilever. I'm sure there's lots of good reasons for that. I mean, you know, it's a Gardner top, I think top 10, if I'm not mistaken, ranked supply chain. Now that you're there and uh, you're part of the organization, how do you think Unilever is doing? And I'm not looking for sort of like a political answer. I'm looking for sort of an aspirational answer. How do you think Unilever is doing with their sustainability goals? And how do you think the organization is compared to maybe other organizations that you see they could be similar organizations in your own industry or other industries. Like, how do you, how do you think things stack up? I think we are still a leader in this space, but our peers are catching up quickly and we want them to do that because look, in order for us to decarbonize and reach the goals set forth in the Paris agreement, we all are going to have to do our part. So I think what I've seen, you know, when, when I came into Unilever, I think I mentioned it earlier, I wanted to understand if this company really is doing what they say they're doing, and they are. Um, when they set these goals, we may not know in the beginning exactly how we're going to achieve them, but we figure it out along the way. So we set our baselines, we, we identify exactly how we're going to calculate our KPIs, we put resources behind it. This is, the, to me... And all of my experiences, this is the most um, resource-intensive, sustainability-led company that I've seen. We make sure that the right expertise is in place. We put financial resources behind it, and we empower our people. To me, that is the biggest thing. We have a culture. It's not a no culture. It's, it's a yes culture. It's please go innovate. Please figure out how we're going to meet these goals. And, and I just love this culture. And, and that's one of the main reasons. Yeah, we, we've been partners with Unilever for a long time. And one of the things I always tell people when they ask me about sort of best practices, one of the things that I've always been impressed about your organization is the folks that I've always met there, no matter how good they are, are always very self-deprecating. They're like, 
we know we're good, but we're not as good as we could be. And I was always impressed by that because, and I, 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 I won't compare you to other organizations, but I've worked with other organizations where they're very good at what they do, but they're also more impressed with themselves than maybe they should be. And, and Unilever is not that way. I mean, I, my experience with the folks that I've worked with at Unilever is they're, they're like, yeah, we're pretty good, but we, we can always be better. And we're always trying to be better. And I was always impressed by that, that in your culture. I, that has been very eye-opening to me, actually, because we are such collaborators and co-creators, and we see the value in that, because that's that's what we're going to need to to meet our goals. Um, and yes, we we're very we're pretty humble, and we don't try to toot our own horn. If if you see something in the media, it's because we want others to understand what we're doing and how we're doing it. And we want them to see that they can actually do it too. So yeah, we we do have a long road ahead of us, and it's going to take a long time to get there. But um, yeah, we're we're not perfect. I, I guess the my comment would be is an optimized supply chain takes carbon out takes carbon out just naturally, but it has to be thoughtful when when it's done. So in in right. order to do that, I mean, obviously there's a lot of cross motivations that let's say just your day in day out procurement person has, or a, a, a brand manager, let's say that, that leads, you know, what's profitability. So, I mean, how do you, how do you kind of mix in that, those objectives with their current day in day out issues? It's striking a balance, right? I mean, the one, one of the greatest things here is most people here understand that the compass is it's not a standalone sustainability strategy. It's actually an integrated business strategy. It's our overall corporate strategy. So our employees know that and they know that we have to meet those goals. We have incentives tied to those goals. So, you know, I think that helps bring everyone into the fold and helps them understand that sustainability is part of everyone's job. At, at the organization. So in your in your willingness to share, and you mentioned this before, you said, hey, we want to be sustainable, but we want our competitors and our suppliers and our partners and our customers to be sustainable too. So when you think about that in the big picture, what is the advice that you as the supply chain leader for Unilever North America, what is the immediate and maybe medium to long-term advice that you would give to that audience to say, wherever you are in your sustainability journey, these are the things that you should be thinking about and focusing on. I mean, there, there are a lot of things you should be focused on, but I think the, the first thing is understanding your priorities. That is, that is key because a priority for Unilever may not be a priority for one of our, our peers. So really taking the time to sit down, do a materiality assessment, understand where your priorities are both for your company and for your stakeholders involved. And that's going to help you get on the right path and, and make sure that you're tackling the right part priorities. So I think that to me, that is the biggest thing. And then again, back to under understanding your stakeholders and making sure that you bring them into the mix early. So what's next for, uh, for sustainability at Unilever? You know, it's, I, I think it's just, it's continued innovation, right? It's, we're already innovating in our fac factories to put in, you know, more sustainable 
innovations. We are focusing on identifying the technologies needed to fully decarbonize our footprint. So we're going through this process right now in North America, where we're looking at every single facility to understand what we need to do to become net zero. There's a big emphasis on scope three, which I mentioned early, earlier, including our collaborative manufacturing. We have not tackled that yet. And I think logistics and transportation, that is a huge area of opportunity. There are technologies out there that are looking at carbon sequestration. You look at what's, you know, the technologies that are being developed. So we're we're already starting to partner with some external vendors on that. And then one other thing that's really important to us is on a social aspect, right? We have a commitment to living wage. So we have asked all of our suppliers to pay their employees a living wage. And if you think about this, this is going to impact millions and millions of people across the world. So that is going to be one of our biggest challenges that that we're going to be tackling here in the next few years. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you mentioned that because, you know, as as we would all know, you know, people, people, planet, profit. Right. But the people aspect, I think, sometimes does get overlooked by organizations and thinking about um, and I come out of the textile industry. And and I would say I would say, broadly speaking, the company I work for was excellent at thinking about these things. But the textile industry in general gets kind of a bad rap, particularly on on, you know, labor. So one of the things I was always proud of was the fact that we were really good at, at, at how we did that. But when you think about the people aspect, what are some of the important things that organizations should be both thinking about and looking at? You mentioned priorities. So if just focus on people. What are some of the things that you say, these are things that companies really should be looking carefully at and making sure that they're doing well? So I'm going to go back to that living wage commitment. I mean, you need to make sure your own house is in order first. And that's that's the approach that we always take when we're thinking about sustainability. So really just making sure that you're taking care of your employees, um, that they're paid a living wage. So all of our employees globally, all 150,000 of them are paid a living wage. I think that's very important. One of the other things that we do that I think is is really unique is we want our employees to understand their purpose and be able to live out that purpose within the company. So we do this thing called a, a purpose boot camp that as an employee you can participate in and it will help you define your purpose and help you understand how you can live it out, you know, in in Unilever and anywhere else that you are. So I think really just that focus on employees is extremely important. And then again, you know, tackling the human rights issues in the supply chain, making sure that your suppliers are doing what they need to do and you don't have violations. And then back to that living wage. That's something that's so important. Is is there an industry definition of living wage, Nikki, or is there a a Unilever definition that you really like that organizations can benchmark from? I mean, I'm sure there there are multiple definitions of living wage out there and it depends on, you know, it varies, right? So it's different. It's different from minimum wage. So living wage takes into account things that are needed as basics. So do you have enough money for food, transportation, health care, education, child care. So living wages is beyond minimum wage. 
and it, and it's complicated, right? Because those definitions are so broad. It depends on where you live. It depends on a lot of different factors. What's the future look? So, you, you know, we were joking about 2030 and 2039, and I guess we could talk about 2050 if we want to, but what's the future look? You know, if we were to come back here and, and do this podcast again, say in 10 years uh, or eight years, I guess 2030 is not that far away. It keeps getting closer. If we were to come back at, in 2030, what does sustainability look like at Unilever in, in, in eight to 10 years? I would say we would have achieved our goals. When I think about things futuristically, and I think about, let's go to 2050, right? If we don't act as, as big organizations, big companies, if we don't all come together to decarbonize and do the things that we need to do from a sustainability perspective, we're going to live in an unhabitable world. To me, if we're doing what we need to do, basic human needs will be met. And, and that's, I know that's kind of simplified, and that's pie in the sky, but I think that's what we need to, um, to shoot to achieve. Thanks for listening to the Penn State Supply Chain Podcast, brought to you by the Center for Supply Chain Research at Penn State. For information about our sponsorship opportunities, research needs, and professional development offerings, please visit smeal.psu.edu forward slash CSCR.